Okay, welcome to GradCast. Happy Tuesday. I hope you're all having a great evening. My name is Yemen Chen. I'll be your host today. And with me co-hosting is Ariel Frame. How are you doing, Ariel? I'm good. Awesome. We have a very interesting guest. I mean, all our guests are interesting, but um, they're all very interesting. So I say that all the time. Um, we have Dylan Ballone. Mm-hmm here with us today. Hello, Dylan. Hey, how's it going? Awesome. You're a master's student in biology, is that right? I am. Yeah. yeah. And you're you're a bit of a bat man. Is that <laughs> how you might describe yourself? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, how would you say it? Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you do here at Western? Oh, sure. Uh, so, as a master's student, um, I'm studying um, and answering, uh, asking questions kind of about migration, um, a lot of people don't know, for example, that bats migrate to begin with, or some species do at least. Oh, uh, and so I wanted to ask questions about how are they using their energy uh, when they're doing it. Okay, hmm. you're studying bat migration. Mm-hmm. So uh, actually, I guess uh, one one question, if we're, if we're really delving into migration, um, well, I mean, I guess people have a rough idea what migration is. I yeah, kind sure. of do. You mm-hmm. go somewhere because it's too cold where you are so yeah. kind of. mm-hmm. so um you know why why do organisms uh migrate and wh- how did they develop i mean I, I assume they didn't always migrate in there yeah 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 uh, that's a great question um i should probably write this all down for my intro of my thesis because uh, that's uh exactly what we're talking about um it so I'm trying to think of how the best to frame this. So you're right, migration is uh, kind of a response to essentially changes in resources, whether that's environmental temperatures, um, which then often accounts for uh, food resources like insects or uh, flowers blooming, fruit growing, things like that. Uh, So species have adapted to move um, out of these areas and come back into them um, after winter. Uh, Yeah. That's uh, that's really interesting, and and uh, you know we, we've all uh, kind of heard, I guess, in general, classically that you know birds migrate, and uh, birds, so what's sorry, kind birds of seeing, the we're seeing idea migrate, field of especially in, you know that we're more familiar with, especially in like the spring migration, um, and in the fall, when we see birds flying north and south, um, bats will often be doing the same thing, but they will just be doing it at night, um, and. So we can, you know, bird migration presents a really good situation for us to uh, kind of base some of our questions, some of our understanding or predictions of what we might think that bats can do. Um, and for in Ontario especially, um, there's a handful of bats that are the species that are migratory: um, the silver-haired eastern red um, and hoary bats. Uh, they're generally the biggest bats. Um, some of the other bats that we have are, you know, hibernating species that will stick around um, and they'll find caves, abandoned mines, things like that, um, and they'll spend the winter here. Um, so these three species will fly south, uh, could be anywhere from southern United States to, you know, Mexico, uh, Central America kind of thing. So, so just uh, quickly back to these are the biggest bats. Are they the biggest bats in the world? Or like how big are these bats? I'm imagining bats like smaller than my fist. Right. You know? And yeah, that's absolutely a good question. Um, so 
uh, mostly. So eastern reds, silver-haired bats, they're going to be about 12 grams. So I'm talking, if their wings are folded up, like you could fit several of them in the palm of your hand. Um, some of the bigger ones, the hoary bats can be upwards, you know, above 20 to 40 grams. Um, so they're quite a bit bigger. Um, and for the most part, they're solitary. But in terms of all of bat species, they're tiny. Um, especially some of the fruit bats in Australia, they're so big, I'm talking like six foot wingspans, um, where they are so, so large, they don't have to be scared of aerial predators anymore. Um, and they can fly in the middle of the day. Yeah, but for the most part, ones we have here are very small um, and are all nocturnal. Okay, cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what got you interested in bats in the first place? Oh, well, I mean, I'd like to say it was inspiration by superheroes or something like that. Um, but it was, uh, I guess if you consider some of my high school science teachers as superheroes in that sense, um, <laughs> they, they had an opportunity to um, hire somebody to work at a local wind turbine farm um, and do some searches just to get a general idea of our bats interacting with wind turbines. Um, and so I was about grade 11, I think. Oh, cool. um, and so that ever since then, I've kind of been interested in, um, not even wasn't interested in bats uh, for, the f for the most of it. It was kind of getting involved in the field, camping, spending most of my time outside, and uh, getting to interact with just some of the coolest people and scientists that I've you know, didn't even know existed. So, yeah. so it sounds like from like a fairly young age, in in the end of at the end of high school, you're talking about you got sort of bitten by the scientist bug, yeah. and, and this is the sort of thing that <laughs> did you envision yourself, um, you know, in this line of work before? Oh, that's a that's also a really good life reflecting question. Um, I I kind of yeah. I mean, there were times when I had my doubts. Certainly, that academia maybe wasn't. You know, it's exactly where I wanted to be, maybe consulting or maybe just something in general, you know, more environmental consulting kind of stuff. But um, the more and more I've got to um, be around this system and this environment, um, I, I really feel like that's kind of the spot for me. Yeah. Oh, great. And uh, from a bit of uh, from what you told us earlier before this interview, you're one of, you know, those lucky scientists that gets to do field work. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are certainly some people in the department, I feel like, that would consider me the unlucky one. Um, oh, wow. That okay. I have to go out to the side and live outside and collect all my, you know, samples and things like that, just kind of uh, wearing a raincoat all the time. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, doing field work in a couple of different spots, done northern Manitoba, um, this uh, in Ontario, we've been at Long Point uh, at the Bird Observatory. There, it's one of the, the oldest in North America, probably one of the oldest in the world. I would, I would think. Um, and so they've got a really well-established um, setup for catching birds. And the best part about it is that because bats also fly, you can have to catch them in similar ways, um, and can just constructing massive nets essentially. Um, and you just have to change the time of day in which you set them up. But I mean, in terms of more of the field work that you're doing, um, living outside, camping for a couple weeks at a time with no shower and no, not no, not being able to have fires or anything like that. So you're kind of eating cold beans or cold oatmeal, <laughs> cold instant oatmeal. I gotta say, I've got quite some experience with that. But you put uh, put berries in there. I like my when I go out. If if I in the past would mm -hmm. go out hiking and stuff i'm not nearly as uh, adventurous anymore right <laughs> but i would you know that oatmeal is a good one for the for the woods backcountry sort of thing and we put fruit in it you yeah have any special recipes to share 
Oh, goodness. Uh, I know if there's any of the people I've worked with in the field listening to this, they'll be laughing. They know what I'm going to say. But, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's cause, so when you start getting to the end of your rations, um, you start to get creative, certainly. And I'm talking for – so if you have a field vehicle with you, you can take your cold oatmeal, so your instant oatmeal, put some water in it, and leave it on the dash inside the car for a little while where you like, whatever, you go get changed. And sometimes you can come back and it'll be kind of just mildly lukewarm. Um, you know, that's right. about as close as you can get sometimes. Um, but in terms of like wild blueberries and things like that, if you're lucky, um, hard part about being a, up all night is that you don't really get a lot of daylight hours to spend picking berries. <laughs> and if you go looking for berries, you often get to find the other creatures that are also looking for berries too. Um, and often they need them a little bit more than I do. So you kind of leave most of them where they are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining you, 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 uh, you know, got, got a, an animal in your sights, I don't know, maybe a rabbit or something. And you got looking him dead in the eye and thinking, <laughs> is this my berry or your berry? Uh, okay. I'll have one. You have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start picking them for them. Uh, yeah. I mean, for the most part, you don't have any, uh, too many interactions with things like that, chasing for the same food, but, uh, um, sometimes have been pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. So, after you finish field work, do you ever find yourself craving, you know, lukewarm dashboard oatmeal? Um, yeah, again, my friends will be laughing. Um, yeah, I eat oatmeal pretty much every morning for breakfast. It kind of, <laughs> you know, it's good for you. <laughs> that is. You know, you, uh, you, you quickly said, you know, like, oh, you have to stay up all night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, maybe... You know, ob- obvious if you knew if you know that uh, that bats are no- uh, nocturnal, right. but um, you know ha- we're not nocturnal, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so how was that? <laughs> oh man, and that's a whole other kind of challenge. Um, I really feel for Batman some days um, that he has to spend all night getting beaten up, um, <laughs> and I, I just have to spend all night being awake and walking around, and that's hard enough on you. I mean, you get pretty used to hiking long distances. Um, you get pretty used to sitting in the woods at night and listening to all the things that are bumping around in the bush that you know you're never really sure if it's a deer or a bear or anything like that but I mean I've seen some of the most spectacular northern lights um, that I could ever imagine yellow and pinks and greens like spiraling up above you Um, and I mean and so in that sense it's really rewarding you get to see a lot of things uh, snakes crawling around that you never would have thought of um, fish sit really still in the water um, if you're taking a break um, so you can often see them with your headlamps um, but it really takes a toll on you especially when you start kind of acclimatizing to it where you start to stay up later even though it's really in earlier in the morning to the point where you're you know sitting on the beach having a beer um, at 7 a.m 8 a.m because it's you know 8 p.m really for you um, but I mean yeah, so it takes some time to get into a, c- a couple weeks of really tiring yourself out you know sometimes it really helps to you know lift weights or carry um, heavy backpacks while you're doing some net checks when you're walking around looking for bats that may be caught in your nets um, just to make sure that when the sun does come up you can actually go to sleep um, in southern Ontario it's been a whole other challenge being 35 and humid all day um, with no electricity or, you know, air conditioning, it can be quite suffocating, but... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay, I love it. Right, <laughs> so this is why you say that some of your colleagues may not envy your, uh, yeah, your field work certainly. excursions. Yeah, and I mean, one of the best parts about it um, in that sense is that you have to interact with a lot of insects, whether you want to or not, um, and you think, oh, why don't you just wear bug spray, things like that? Well, 
If you want to catch bats, you have to go where bats are going to be, and they're going to be where the food is. Um, so if you're chasing away all the food or, you know, interacting with them in a negative way, um, you kind of have to just kind of accept mosquitoes um, and just get over it um, and hope that you're not super allergic, get like a bug mask, things like that. And um, that way, because we're there to, you know, observe these bats in their natural spots and to get kind of the most full picture appreciation for them that we can and uh, there's no sense in going through and fogging a forest of insects just so that you're more comfortable you know catching the bats but right so you're mm-hmm. trying to be like as unobtrusive in their environment absolutely. as possible yeah absolutely while draping nets around trees and like catching them in mid-flight yeah um yeah i guess <laughs> okay. i guess it's an interesting way of looking at it. yeah right yeah so what do you do with these bats after you um you find them in your nets uh, well, you once after a while, you get pretty good at taking them out pretty quick, um, okay. and you, we don't ever set them up in the rain or you know strong crazy strong winds or anything like that in which they'd be in there getting tangled or hurt or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's always very calm um, and nice out, um, and. So basically we'll do things from like measuring their wings, uh, measuring like their tibia lengths on their legs, measuring, um, you know, yeah, assessing how old they are based on if they're, you know, you can look, because their wings are so thin, you can hold them up to a light and you can actually look into the joints in their fingers. Um, I don't know if, I guess that's kind of not common knowledge that for bats, their hands are their wings. So if you imagine sticking your hands out to the side with your thumbs straight up in the air, those are, yeah, so those are your, you'd be, would be your wings. And so they take like your ring finger. Um, yeah, we're all out, sticking y- our hands out right now. Pretending we're bats, yeah. <laughs> so you could see through that joint um, and they wouldn't, the bones wouldn't quite um, fuse together. They would, you would see, you would see a gap in between them. And if there's that gap, that means that they're, you know, their first year of life. Um, and so you can assess how old they are, um, their sex, it's super easy to tell. People always ask, like, was it like birds where if they're not different colors, how do you tell? Well, uh, I'd say they're very pronounced. <laughs> if you I, catch my yeah. drift. Okay. Um, <laughs> I do remember large, going to a zoo once and yeah. seeing fruit bats. Um, oh, fa- yeah, fruit bats are yeah, They're, uh, story, they're yeah. remarkable creatures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, you, you, you're not going to mix them up. No, it's definitely not. Um, then you'll do things um, like you can scan them for uh, for their body composition. Uh, they've got this really cool machine called a quantitative magnetic resonance. It's kind of like an MRI machine, but instead of converting the information to a picture, um, you're kind of quantifying uh, how much fat or lean mass you have. So lean mass being your skin, muscle, things like that. Um, and it kind of gives you, uh, in grams, how much of this an individual has in their body. Um, and it, we've done all kinds of tests to make sure this doesn't mess with any of their, you know, navigation or anything like that. It's all perfectly ventilated, and it's like a two-minute thing. Um, so that way you can tell how much energy they're bringing. Um, animals that are flying burn their fat um, that they have stored in their bodies, and um, so that's a good way for us to, to kind of get a snapshot of who they are and what they're doing when they arrive. Yeah. So um, I imagine that uh, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of energy to fly. I mean, mm-hmm. if I were to try to fly, it wouldn't work because I can't <laughs> flap my arms fast enough, and there's a lot of other constraints as well. well. The key is to use your fingers, right? Right. Like, <laughs> right. You know, I forgot. I, I got to emphasize the fingers, and then maybe I, I can get to it, and I'll, I'll practice, so I'll For get sure. to it. Um, but, uh, one, you know, one interesting thing I think about bats is mm-hmm. – there aren't too many mammals that can fly. No, they are uh, the only mammal that can fly. Right. So, um, why? How are they able to, you know, overcome the? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, so, birds, you know, they their bones um, are technically, you know, more or less hollow. 
um, that kind of decreases their structural weight, allows them to reduce their weight and fly. Um, bats don't do that, um, and so in general they're just quite um, conservative in all of their, you know, between having small digestive tracts, um, so they have a quite quick digestive time. Um, they have most of their muscle weight is their pectoral muscles, so muscles involved in them flying, um, and then some that's, on their that's a, like chest muscles. Yeah, uh, chest right? muscles. Yeah, okay, absolutely. And then you know, that's, so that'll bring your wing down, but to bring your wing back up, you have to have okay back muscles too. Right. Um, and then the skin membrane um, between their fingers that they're using to fly is like microns thick. Like it's just crazy, crazy small. Microns might be the wrong word that I'm looking of, but, but take, really take my thin. word. They're very thin. You can see through them if you hold them up to light. Okay. Um, and so with that increased surface area um, and then kind of streamlining their legs and their tail membranes into being part of that uh, surface area that's catching wind, uh, kind of they're able to do that. So, so after all is said and done, uh, who uses their energy more efficiently, bats or birds? Oh, well, I mean, that's a little out of the, the scope of what I'm doing research on, but it, more efficient. Uh, I can tell you that birds often have a better time gliding, um, riding updrafts of hot air that are rising. Um, and so they can ride that without flapping or using any energy. Essentially, they can lock their wings into a shape and steer, whereas bats, generally, you don't see them doing that. Maybe some of the bigger bats um, in Australia might you know, be affected by some of that, but for the small insect-eating bats that we have here, probably not. Um, in terms of, you know, forms of locomotion being more efficient, uh, flight, although it's very energy-intensive, if you can consider beating your wings really hard to get off the ground, um, but in terms of unit of distance that they're traveling for that work, it's actually one of the more efficient ways to travel. Um, swimming is a little bit more technically efficient, but the uh, maximum speed that you can get up to in water is much lower than you can imagine flying. Um, and so in that case, it's you know more efficient for these migrating species um, than running or walking. So they're good at what they do. They're very good at what they do, yes. <laughs> well, what other things uh, are bats good at, good at? I've heard, you know, eating insects is one thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, bats can eat an enormous amount of insects. Um, it's kind of tricky to tell, and it changes of species to species, obviously. Um, migrating species, uh, you would probably eat more at their more northern ranges rather than passing through, so Long Point's really neat because it's considered a stopover site. Um, these small animals that are flying thousands of kilometers, you know, in one trip, um, they're can only take so much fuel on board it's just kind of dry going on a road trip and running out of gas eventually you have to stop and fill up right. and so that's what these stopovers are these brief pauses in migration um, and that's kind of makes them really neat little habitats um, and important for conservation issues and things like that um, and preserving kind of these habitats to have these uh, food sources available for these individual these species to stop refuel fill up their gas tank and then they can keep flying when they got it um, so how big is uh, a bat's gas tank? You mentioned it had like a short digestive tract, yeah. but h how much, like the bats you're studying, how much, do you have a sense of how much um, they're yeah. eating every night? Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, so eating every night, so that was part of what my thesis was trying to tackle was, uh, can't, are they eating at these stopover sites? Okay, yeah. Um, so we have some evidence from some pl places in Europe that suggest that yes, they are. Um, there's some reasons to believe um, that because they can suppress their metabolism, they can adjust how much energy their body's using, uh, kind of like a pause button almost, 
um, where they are conserving that energy of that gas, kind of like you imagine coasting down a hill and not, you know, turning off the engine really quick and coasting down a hill uh, and kind of conserving that energy, but just on a way longer scale. Um, and so there's some reason to believe that they wouldn't need to, because um, essentially if you can turn off your body for 12 hours a day, you've then saved, you know, half that time that you normally would be spending that energy and wasting it just trying to keep yourself warm. Um, and so that's kind of where my project kind of decided to tackle was how much energy are they using? Um, how, um, how much are they bringing to the table? So it's for silver-haired bats, which is a species that I was focusing on. Um, in the spring, females have, you know, kind of around a gram, two, you know, maybe a little, you know, I'd, I'd be comfortable with that saying about a gram and a third, you know, maybe 1.3 grams. Males have been found to have much less. Um, they think that just has to do with reproductive timing. Um, they have their babies in the spring, so it would make sense for females to carry more weight on them in the spring. Um, and then in the fall, they kind of have about a gram and a half. Some will have upwards of three grams, some of the really big individuals. But, I mean, I think three grams of fat, that's all the gas you get to travel across the landscape. It's, it doesn't seem very much, but it seems to get them where they're going. Oh, wow. Mm. You, you paint a... A nice picture about of bats and uh and, and they seem like just you know trying to get get by and do their own thing and yeah um and i think earlier you said they're uh kind of like puppies of the sky or something yeah um <laughs> one of the hard parts we have with especially with outreach and um talking to people about bats is they have this oh well everybody's got a story or they know somebody that had a bat in their hair one time at a cottage they well, opened up vampires the, too yeah, right? well vampires too yeah and there's very few bats that drink blood and the ones that do are only in mexico kind of central america they only <laughs> eat it off livestock um so you really don't have to worry um in terms of you know beating that negative stigma you know it doesn't help we use them for halloween decorations and things like that right um and so i'd like to you know convey the message that really they're like puppies with wings because um, some of them are just they're so cute holy cow yeah if you haven't yeah. seen the youtube videos of like the the baby flying fox cubs eating all manner of fruit yeah it's, oh, it's, it's adorable yeah absolutely mm. yeah i wonder can you uh, can you teach a bat to fetch <laughs> oh man i don't think anybody's ever tried but um i mean imagine they could Imagine, oh, no. Challenge, I challenge so. accepted? <laughs> I don't think so. If anyone's so, going to do it, you're going to do it. I don't see bats every day. <laughs> some selection would certainly have to happen, if, you know, mm. for them to be a little more comfortable. But. Well, speaking of training bats, I mean, I, I've heard stories that in the past, in wartime, mm. um, militaries have attempted to train bats to yeah. be sort of uh to carry small bombs or yeah, you know, incendiary charges yeah they certainly thought so bats echolocate they use sound to navigate and that's right. how they are able to function at night um and they thought that maybe we can as humans you know send signals to them to get them to steer in directions that you want them to go or train them to fly into a roost in houses so some of these species like to roost up in people's roofs it's nice and warm especially in people's cottages normally happens the most and so they figured if they could train these bats to associate home with a particular style of building uh, being the japanese architecture um, they thought that they could release these bats out of an airplane they'd fly into these buildings and essentially light everything on fire um, so this but at least that's just how the story goes and the story is that they released them as a trial run to transfer just from one building to the next still within their training ground and all they did was do a loop back 
right back into where they left from and then lit everything on fire. So totally just destroyed their whole project. But so it sort of backfired a bit. Yeah, yeah, technically. Yeah. Yeah. They thought that they thought they were gonna send the bats out, but they turned out to be boomerang bats. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we are coming up to the end of our program. So Dylan, is there anything you would like to you know, tell our listeners a sort of a takeaway uh, based on your bat research or your interest in bats. So you mentioned you do outreach with the public. Mm-hmm. What's some What's a message you'd like to send the public about bats? Um, that bats are, you know, they're adorable. They they are important to our ecosystem just like all other living things. Um, the amount of insects that they can eat, you know, if you want to put a monetary spin on it, can be super beneficial. Um, I know for agricultural pests, um, talking billions of dollars that they save people that they've estimated so far, um, and that's just with really preliminary estimates. So I'm talking this, it, how uh, they're so integral um, and their movements over the landscape are so important with resource movement and things like this too. It's um, I say just do what you can. If you have them in your house or in your cottage, just wait until about October. They'll all leave. You can board it up after that. But if you do that, you know, try and get a, a bat box uh, and hang it up in your trees. You never have to see them, and uh, they'll just hang out with all the insects in your yard. So, yeah. All right, great. That's... Cool. Make you, uh, now I want a bat. Yeah. As a, well, they don't make very good pets, I, I guess. No, but, no, no uh, not as pets. <laughs> so, Dylan. In um, the box. In the box. In the box, yeah. If anyone would uh, be interested in following up on your work mm-hmm. on um, your research, do you have an online presence? Do you have a blog or a... You know, a Twitter account that people can follow? Um, no, I'm not on Twitter yet. I've been hesitant, but it's certainly something I'm looking to get into. Well, you can find me on Facebook, Dylan Below, and if you have any bat questions. Um, and if you're looking at, for bat conservation things, um, uh, batcon, batcon.org, Batcon International, um, all these websites, you can just Google plans for bat houses, places to buy them for really cheap, um, especially if you're interested in helping them out. So. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Thanks very much. Ah, thanks for having me. So this is Gradcast. Uh, I'm Yemen. I'm here with Ariel. And we were talking to Dylan today. And we broadcast every Tuesday. If you're interested in coming on the show or coming on and joining as part of the committee, it's a lot of fun. Great line on the CV. Come visit, at, visit us at gradcast.ca. Or you can email at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And we'd hope to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.